and we're going to look starting in chapter 4 as we spend time in the Word of God this morning. Wendy is uh, not with us uh, this morning. She went up to Omaha to take care of uh, and be involved in a couple of events that have been planned. For those of you that were here Wednesday night and heard me share about our sister Chloe, she was able to stop and see Chloe who is home under hospice care. Uh, she's going to have a procedure done on Wednesday to remove excess fluid from her abdomen. And uh, my prayer, my goal is that tomorrow morning, B&E, that's bright and early. For some of you, this won't be bright and early at all, but uh, I want to be on the road by 8 o'clock uh, to drive up the four hours to Lincoln, spend a little time with Chloe. Wendy and I will meet there, and then we'll drive back together tomorrow afternoon. I've uh, really been enjoying my time here with all of you as has Wendy. And uh, if you didn't hear me announce this on Wednesday, I lost the sign-up sheets <laughs> for people wanting to get some time with us. Uh, that's the bad news. But the good news slash bad news is there weren't very many names on that <laughs> sign-up sheet. So if your name was on there and uh, if you haven't heard from me about something, well, that's why. Um, but we don't need a sign-up sheet. You know, uh, we're here. We want to get together. Uh, we want to meet. And we've started a process on Wednesday night this past week of uh, a, you know, an approach I was trained in in school a couple of years ago, three years ago, called appreciative inquiry. And that word is not in the Bible, but it's very spiritual in its context and its application. Uh, because it's all about, and if you know the story of the Word of God, it's all about honoring our past acknowledging our present, and looking forward to a hopeful future. Right. And so we are one week engaged in this process where we're listening to other stories, finding out what's been going on, and we will be looking forward to the last couple of sessions where we're going to spend some time talking about, okay, what do we want to do now? Right. Where are we going to go going forward? Yeah. And so as we study out some things this morning, uh, I'm going to spend the next two weeks just talking about something that's fundamental to us right now, and that is unity. Yeah. Unity. And it's based from this core text of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And here's what God tells us. So have your swords open, whether they're electronic or paper. I don't care. But have the word of God open. And I want to share this with you, too. I want you to start thinking about this. The Bible doesn't say anything. God says everything. You know, so I want us to embrace this reality that God says, not just the Bible. The Bible is just a word for book. The Bible means book. And the Bible says nothing. But God says everything. Amen? Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and patient, gentle, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This word be means how we are to conduct our life. In fact, if you were to go in and dig into a word study on the word be, it's very closely linked to parts of our, our word that 
that we embrace wholeheartedly in Scripture, which is metanoia, which is the basis of repentance. So there is a connection, not just, you know, headwise on paper about the being and to repentance, but in the heart application of who we are. This word mean, be means how we conduct our lives. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. When God says be, we should listen. When God says be, I should be moved to pause. It's a description of our life and what it should look like, the dictates of our conduct and the attitudes that we display. Be humble. Be gentle. <clears throat> be patient. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's how we are to be. And she agrees. Don't just let these be practices. These are qualities. And God is saying, be this. Be this. One rabbi scholar has suggested in some of his writings and teachings that when we read scripture, we need to avoid the nursery rhyme effect. You know, nursery rhymes, those tunes that we hear, that we connect with, we know the words, we know the melody, they go in one ear and out the other. We can do that with the word of God, too. So we're listening to it. It just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. Or if we're reading it, it goes in one eye and out the other. Use whatever of the senses you want to use to describe in and out. And I think of the song Rockabye Baby. You know that song, right? Rockabye Baby. This wasn't on the song list, so I apologize for this page. But we're going to do an impromptu singing of Rockabye Baby together. Can you handle it? All right, let's give it our best. Rock-a-bye, baby, on the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. And down tumbles, baby, cradle and all. Amen. But think about that song. I mean, seriously. Morbid. My mom, I remember my mom singing that song to my kids when they were babies. And so I was convinced that, okay, I knew my mom probably sung that song to me as well. You know, she's sitting there in that rocking chair and got that happy granny face. And the baby's just cooing back at her. And I'm sure she sung that song to me. And now I understand why I'm terrified of heights. <laughs> you know, it makes complete sense. I mean, can you imagine what this baby would be thinking if it could actually understand what's being sung to, the, to him or her right now? I mean, I think the words would be a little bit different from the baby's perspective. Why am I up here in this tree? 
and how tall is said tree? <laughs> is there anyone to catch me? Did anyone call 911? I mean, here we'd have the reverse approach instead of the parents saying to the kid, what were you thinking? The baby would be saying, what were you thinking? <laughs> Putting me in a tall tree? Are you out of your mind? Right? And so we can do the same thing if we're not careful with the very words of God. For us who have been disciples for many years, it's very easy to fall into the application of the lullaby effect. Dale Ringer, my awesome brother in Christ, could I call upon you to do me a super big favor? I'm in need of some moisturization. <laughs> Is there any way you could grab me a cup of water, buddy? I'm so sorry. Thanks, bro. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> but think about, think about the application of the word of God in our life. It's not a nursery rhyme, you know. It's the words of life. And so as we look here at this Ephesians passage in chapter 4, you know, the, the book of Ephesians is a letter written by Paul that it's one of the few letters that he wrote where there's not a whole lot of correcting going on. In fact, I don't know that there is any correcting going on. It's a letter to remind brothers and sisters who they are in Christ, the first three chapters. This is who you are in Christ. This is your position with God as a result of your faith in Jesus Christ. And then the second three chapters, four through six, is all about, okay, because of this position, this is now your practice. This is how you live your life. And I love this about the Ephesian letter. So he starts off with these first three letters, uh, first three chapters, and he talks about what our position is in Christ. And we'll take a look at a couple of these real briefly. So in verses 1 through 3, you know, and this letter could start out in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints in Wichita. Not some abstract ancient city in Ephesus. The word of God is alive and active today. He says here in verse 3. Praise be to the God of our Father, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. You know that you've been blessed in heavenly realms. Then he goes on to say, you have been chosen. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure and will to the praises of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption. We have forgiveness. He has lavished on us, it goes on further to say, all wisdom, all wisdom and understanding. This is who we are. This is our position in Christ. Now, I realize there's a couple of phrases in here that trip up the religious world quite significantly. It's not the purpose of our time here together this morning, but we are predestined. We are predetermined. And I believe that application to be on a, a large mic, a macro level, not necessarily the individualistic micro level, but since God's creation, you know, in Genesis 3 or 4, whenever man fell, God has been trying to bring us back to him ever since. And this has always been predestined by God. 
Thank you so much, Dale. Oh, appreciate that. Excuse me. Mm. Wow, that's really cold. <coughs> Thanks. Later on in uh, chapter 1 here in verse 18 and 19, it says, Paul says he prays that your, our eyes could be opened and enlightened, that we may know the hope that we which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and his, his incredible great power that works within us. The power that is within you right now, the power that is in with me. Oh, wow, is that my, for me? That would be really good. I'm going to put my thing on there, too. You guys are just serving me all over today. I appreciate it. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us today. Amen. This is our position. This is who we are. And then he goes on further to talk about here in chapter 2, uh, verse 4 and 5, that we've been made alive. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we've been made alive together through Christ. Do you remember that movie, uh, The Sixth Sense? You know, I see dead people, and they don't even know they're dead. I remember one time I went into one of our customers' offices, a couple years after that movie, and he had a big poster. It was so hilarious. He said, I see dumb people, and they don't even know they're dumb. I'm like, okay, guilty. But we are made alive. We were dead, but now we've been made alive. Hence the encouragement to be that Paul would later pin in this letter. There's some other powerful things that he shares here, you know, just in terms of who we are in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 10 talks about we are created. We are his workmanship to do good works. This is who we are. This is our position in Christ. And in chapter 2, verse 13, it talks about we have been brought near to God. This is who we are. This is who you are in Christ. And as a result of all of those things, those positions that we are in, then the second half of the letter deals with, okay, this being true, you being made alive together with God in Christ, this is now what your life looks like. I'm just breaking things right and left here. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Sit. Stay. We're going to get through this. Okay. So the second half of the letter is all about what does our life look like. You know, and I think our challenge is that, is that we live in an era when we want real simple instructions. So how do we do that? How do we do this be? How do we be completely humble and gentle and patient and love one another and make every effort to have unity in the spirit through the bond of peace? Is there a vitamin for that? You know, sign me up for that. Can I get a prescription from that God? Because I really want to be these things. Or, you know, is there a book I can read? Preferably one that has pictures. There's not too many pages. There's big letters. And, you know, I'll take the Cliff's Notes if, if you got them. Everybody know what Cliff's Notes are? You guys are going to find out what Cliff's Notes are pretty soon. We actually have a book where God tells us how to be. We have a book. And I, wanna, I don't know where you're at. I don't know. This is, but I'm telling you, there's a serious problem 
in, 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 in the lives of, of Christians, the lives of disciples today, I shouldn't say it's a problem necessarily because I don't want to impose that on all of us. But it's a challenge. We can spend more time listening to other people talking about God, and we can read a lot of books written by men who write about God, when we ought to just be listening to God. Our spiritual formation comes through this, and God gives us tons of great teachings about how do we get this. It's not going to come from anybody out there. It's not going to come from me. It's going to come from you and the Holy Spirit and us being willing to submit to that and just follow God. God said it. That settles it. The question is, do I believe it? So as we go on through this and we think about, I want an easy answer. Not only are we programmed for this, this desire for easy answers, we want it now. Everything needs to be microwavable. I love driving in Wichita. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but you're so law-abiding. It's impressive. It is. I haven't seen Betty yet. <coughs> okay. Maybe some of you are thinking, praise God, you haven't been behind me yet. But I love it. Everybody drives the speed limit. And where I grew up in Detroit, the speed limit was sort of a suggestion. And I don't want to make this an excuse for being illegal. In my, but, you know, that's the maximum speed the law thinks you should drive. So here in Wichita, if I'm on one of the freeways, and you know how the right lane is always for the slower drivers? There really are slower drivers. If it's 60, I'm, you know, I'm, you're maxing out at 55 probably because they're in the right lane. I'm just telling you, this is my observation as an outsider. I love it. Thank you for helping to teach me obedience <laughs> and patience. And here's the thing. If we start running into things that don't seem to be going fast enough, we just quickly discard them and move on. You know, God gives us all kinds of lessons in his word about how to do this B thing, this being patient, kind. He talks about prayer. He tells us about fasting. He tells us about meditation. In the same letter here in Ephesians, he gives us a whole list of things that we should be putting off and a whole list of things that we should be putting on. He talks about transforming our minds transforming our minds in Romans chapter 12 by not conforming to the pattern of this world, that passage, if I'm honest with you, scares prayerfully the devil right out of me. I, I, I struggle sometime in my own life if I'm just objective with myself to say, man, I, my life kind of looks very patternistic to the world around me. The tempo of my life, the things that I get involved with, all the distractions that we have. In, we live in an amazing time today you know we do but if we're not careful we get sucked into doing everything everywhere all the time anywhere and we're running ourselves ragged what we call the rat race right and before long it doesn't take it doesn't take us long to become one of those rats 
God has a different pace. God has a different tempo plan for our lives. And honestly, at my age, I think I, I, have, I have earned the experience to tell you, you're not going to survive in your walk with God. You'll be frustrated. Christianity will be a burden. You will not find joy in your life if you're trying to live in both worlds. I spent a year one time, oh, this was back when my kids were in high school, praying for patience. Because we, we started having these family meetings when our kids were in high school. You know, because with, with high school, middle school kids, you know, amen, they start getting attitudes and they learn things. And, you know, we all were that way. We all were that way. And so, you know, we had to migrate some things. And I was going through some challenges in my my life and uh, you know Wendy and I were had been married for quite a while so there were you know some breakdowns here or there and so we just started having these family meetings and talking about what's working what's not working uh, what do you like what you don't like and some things they didn't like you know like well okay that's understand but you're the kid and we're the parent uh, <laughs> but one thing my kids and even my wife shared with me during I think our second effort on this kind of family meeting was Dad, you're not patient. You're very frustrated all the time. You're not patient. And I knew it, you know. I grew up in an environment that didn't encourage patience. Uh, the busier I was, the better I felt because then I didn't have to deal with tough things. Um, so I started praying about patience in my life. And sure enough, that year was a crazy travel year for me. And I, I have never been in more airports with canceled flights than any time leading up to that year. I think about a third of my flights got canceled that year or postponed or delayed. Every time I'd have to go to a hotel room, it would be on the top floor and the room would be all the way back in the end and I'd get out and I'd pull out my hotel key and it didn't work. There was, no, there was no host phone on the floor so you'd have to go back downstairs. I don't know, it just felt like, so when I was praying for patience, you, you know, I was thinking God was just gonna clear the path for me. <laughs> Not giving me anything to challenge me. But when I started praying for patience, God gave me so many great opportunities. <laughs> that year, both my kids fell, you know, got into, you know, not, they made some mistakes. I mean, if you're, if you were a kid or if you're a kid now and a teenager, whatever, and you've never made a mistake, raise your hand because I'm going to identify you as a massive liar and ask you to leave the fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> But when we do pray for things like this, these changes that need to be happening in our life, what expect opportunities to actually utilize that, you know? Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Uh, I don't have a screen for that. That's not why I'm looking around. Philippians chapter 4. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God will transcend all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, 
think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Think about these things. I started substituting, uh, after I quit my job in 2007 and, and started doing uh, ministry for a living, and I, I get tripped up on this word full-time ministry, and I got to say this every time because it's so important. You're all in the full-time ministry. Yeah. I just happen to get paid for it in this part of my life, okay? But you are in the full-time ministry. I didn't quit my job to go into the full-time ministry. I quit my job that had full-time ministry to do ministry even more full-time, if you will, okay? And I'm grateful for that experience. But when I started substituting a day and a half or so a week when I was uh, leading the church in Fort Wayne, you know, kids started telling me, man, you look like Walt from Breaking Bad. I didn't know who Walt was. I'd never heard of the show Breaking Bad. So I went home that night, and I watched a couple of episodes of Breaking Bad, and I was really depressed. Not because of the fact that, okay, I can see every, every bald white guy looks the same, right? But what depressed me more is that we had kids watching this kind of trash, in my opinion. When God says to us, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about these things. That's not a suggestion. And then we immerse ourselves into what the world produces for us and calls us entertainment and expect that we're going to have this mountaintop experience with God every day of our life. That's incongruent. There's nothing noble about Breaking Bad. There's nothing pure about Breaking Bad. I was getting sucked into the evilness of it, cheering for drug makers and getting sucked into the debaucherous life that was going on and cheering for it. And I'm like, what kind of... What kind of nonsense is this? And I don't know what's going on in your personal life, but I got to tell you, I've moved almost every form of what we call entertainment out of my world because I'm tired of fighting the battle. And I'm tired of thinking I can swim, I can swim in the toilet and smell like a rose. And if I'm, if I'm stepping on your toes, I'm sorry I missed. I'm shooting for your heart. This is a call for us today. This is a challenge in our lives today. We cannot build unity. We cannot be people of love. We cannot be people of patience and humility when we're embracing the spirit of the world. It is the spirit of the devil. It is the spirit of the Antichrist. Evil is surrounding us. That's why Paul said in Ephesians, put on the full armor of God. You're not fighting the Russians in Ukraine. You're fighting Satan in your living room. And you young people out here, I fear for you, but by the same time, you're going to have a tremendous opportunity to display what the kingdom of God can really look like in our lives. Because the lines are getting crystal clear. Let's not walk on it. Let's make a decision to be. There's no secret formula. There's no magic vitamin. It's listening to the word of God and actually just doing it. That's the essence of what faith is. I would love to see some of you young people, if you're a disciple of Jesus, man, you know, sing, play. If you don't know an instrument but you love instruments, grab one and learn one. Young people, we need you to rise up. 
We need you to step up. We need you to commit. Christianity is a verb. It's not a philosophical, theoretical thing where we sit here for an hour and get filled with information and then leave. No, it's a, it, we, are, we are engaged, heart, mind, body, and soul. Unity is fragile. Unity is challenging. Unity requires change and growth. Unity is God's work. It's God's call. And unity is a great thing. So this is me and my lovely. Back when we got married in 1979, we were 18. We were, yes, I mean, there, as I got older, I realized that life was much more convenient without the hair. So we parted ways. So that unity formed in July of 79 at the age of 18. And I need you to stop right there. Stop trying to do the math. Stop. Just stop. If you need to know, I'm 47. But that unity led to this unity. Oh, we got Carter cut off there at the bottom. He has more than just that tuft of hair up there. But that's our family, me and Wendy on the far right with Buffy. Then there's uh, Kylie, our daughter. And then next to Kylie is her husband, Lee. And then that, that's our daughter, Romika, in the back. That's our son, Colin, in the back there. And then Colin's wife, Beth, is standing in front of Romika. And those are our four grandkids. That's two years ago at Red Rocks National Park in Colorado Springs when I was on a sabbatical. She is, yeah. She's also the best behaved. We had a long family reunion there with just us and our kids. But we had a couple of nights of just breaking down in tears and sharing conflict. Dysfunction, misunderstanding, but you know, that's what family does. You don't stay married for 43 years without having a few conflicts along the way. Right, Ken? Right, Lana? Working through those challenges, working through those conflicts is what makes unity sweet. It's what makes it deeper. Unity necessitates that we have humility, patience, gentleness, love, and that we make every effort. It also necessitates speaking the truth in love that Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. But here's the thing about truth and love. Truth without love is mean. And love without truth is superficial. And so when we're having conversations with, with each other, we tend to view people like, why don't you think like me? Why don't you process things like me? You know? No, we need to learn to put, our, that's what another is all about, learning to put ourselves in the, in the shoes and the understanding who our brothers and sisters are. If you mind through scriptures, you'll find that God teaches us at least 100 times about the importance of unity. We get all wadded up when we talk about things like homosexuality. And you know there's verses in the Bible that deal with that subject? Eight. And yet we put its level of importance so far up here. And yet God tells us in over a hundred different ways, in over a hundred different scriptures, stay together, be united, make every effort, love one another deeply. What did Jesus pray for in the garden, in, in, in the book of John? Love. 
and that through our love, the world may know. Through our love, through your love, the world may know. We can't learn to love one another deeply, as it says in 1 Peter 4.8. God tells us in 1 Peter 4.8, love one another deeply from the heart. You don't get depth in your love until you're actually learning how to work through disagreement. But dealing with it, and dealing with it gracefully, respectfully, honorably, truthfully, that's what builds deep love. And we all have the opportunity to improve in that area because if you're like me, you're like, church is the last place I would expect there to be conflict. (laughs) Well, a 43-year marriage is the last place I would expect to be in conflict. (laughs) Wendy and I are really different people. And so we have to work through our challenges. Not having conflict, I don't read about any of God's people ever not having to deal with conflict, but they dealt with it, and they grew closer, and they grew stronger, and God's kingdom grew. If you're not seeing that, again, maybe you're falling prey to the nursery rhyme effect. And sometimes I think when we think about conflict, too, it's got to be this, we're at war. No. I don't know. You ever have that discussion with, hey, what's for lunch today? Oh, I don't know. What do you want? Oh, anything. Okay, well, let's have ham sandwiches. Nah, I don't want ham. Well, you just said anything. (laughs) That's a conflict. Okay? So conflicts can be very low level to stuff like that, or we know that can go all the way to catastrophic thinking. Well, he said that or she said that because of this. You don't know. You've never bothered to ask them a question what they meant by saying that. That's why God calls us out to stop, stop judging one another. God, Jesus tells us, stop judging why you think somebody said this or did this. And, you know, sometimes we're so fragile, all of us. We look at somebody's face and it's kind of, they look kind of down or whatever, and we think it's about us. Everything's about us. And we'll talk about that a little bit next week statistically because this is true, you know. What game do you want to play? Wendy always asks me, oh, I don't care. Oh, let's play, let's play solitaire. Oh, I don't want to play solitaire because you always beat me. Well, I thought you said it didn't matter. I thought you said it didn't matter what game we play. Next week, we're going to explore Joshua chapter 22. And we're going to dig deeper into what I think is one of the most powerful but most bizarre stories of conflict, struggle, and unity that I can find in the Bible. I got two challenges for you this week. One, I want you to read Joshua 22. I want you to dwell on it. I want you to think about, man, where's this coming from? This seems weird to me. Think in your own mind, even maybe even write down, not that we'll go through them in, the, in, in church next week, but what questions pop out at you about this? Where did this come from? Why is there this, this settlement on the other side? There's all kinds of great questions that God doesn't give us the specifics to. But there's some awesome lessons we can learn from. And I want to end with this with you today. So in addition to reading 1 Samuel chapter 22, I want you to... Yeah, read that one too. (laughs) I want you to embrace... I want you to literally embrace this idea this week of B. B in Ephesians chapter 4. 
be. Don't just practice it. you got to practice it. But actually think of yourself as doing it. Be this kind of person that God has created, designed, and called you to be. Is there someone in this fellowship today that you need to get with? Not necessarily today, but I'm just saying as you sit here today, is there somebody in this fellowship that you know, that your spirit tells you, man, things are not where they need to be. I feel, I feel funk. I feel something here. You need to pray about this. You need to start seeking solutions with that brother or sister. And when we do that, let's embrace this attitude that is ask assertive instead of tell assertive. You know, ask great questions. Think about Jesus was the master questioner. Think about what great questions you could be asking in that engagement. If you need if you need help to process it through, get with your discipleship partner or whatever you call the person that helps spiritually mentor you. This is not a gossip session, but just say, hey, and you don't even have to be specific, but just say, hey, give me some input. I need to, I'm struggling with something in a relationship in the church. I need to figure out how to deal with this. Help me out here. But let's get busy on this. Let's do this. So the second assignment I have for you, this B assignment, is to embrace what we've read as we started this morning in Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to close out in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. You don't see the whole text up there, but this is what God says. Since, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Thank you, Tim, uh, for talking about unity. Also, thank you for helping.